Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the podcast, we're talking menopause, forgiveness, and sexual dysfunction. I'm Maureen McGrath, and the Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. Last week, if you tuned in, you may have heard me discuss with Dr. Tomi Mitchell at the 9 o'clock hour Pacific time, the case of, uh, very briefly, I really didn't give, didn't speak about it too much, but I did talk about the condition, postpartum depression and psychosis. And I mean, it was just too raw for me at that time and for a lot of people around the world. And I just wanted to be sensitive to the family, to the husband, the husband of a Massachusetts woman, which is where I'm from, um, accused of killing their children. And, and so I just wanted to be respectful at that time. Uh, you know, this woman allegedly has suffered from postpartum psychosis, was overprescribed medications, apparently, according to her lawyer who came out with a statement this week. But probably one of the most profound things about this case is that the husband who had been supporting his wife throughout her postpartum journey and journey through hell, quite frankly, after having been prescribed so many medications, so many sedatives, so many antipsychotics, antidepressants, too many to name, lamotrigine, mirtazapine, Prozac. Um, He had been supporting her throughout that journey. He describes her, or his lawyer describes her, as being like a zombie. Whether you know this or not about postpartum psychosis, this is a very, very rare risk that a mother should take the lives of her own children, the children that she loves and adores and and obviously had done so. But the mind is hijacked by mental illness and by the demons of mental illness, the delusions and the hallucinations that take over. And oftentimes women feel this is the best thing to do for their children in their paranoid state. They want to take their children with them and they don't want their children to suffer like they are. This woman did also attempt to take her life by jumping out a second floor window. She survived. Her three children have passed away. She's 32 years old. She faces two counts of murder and other charges after the three children, Cora Dawson and Callan, were strangled, allegedly, last week inside that family home when the husband ran out to pick up something from CVS, if you know American drugstores, and and take out and he was gone somewhere between 20 and 35 minutes and this is the time that the mother allegedly did this as i said the most profound part of all of this is that the husband patrick clancy stated in a most eloquent and beautiful uh memo on the gofundme where they've raised over a million dollars that he has forgiven his wife of killing their children. And he begged everyone else to do the same. Now it would appear that so many women understand postpartum depression because those have been the comments on the GoFundMe site. (laughs) Anyway, this is such a tough case. Um, With so many women understanding that and giving donations, 15,000 people gave donations totaling over a million dollars. You can see that there is support. Nonetheless, this woman is still being charged, and hopefully the judge will have some empathy and understanding about this diabolical condition that takes over the minds of women, many women, 
after they've had a baby. Now it's very rare that this occurs, but nonetheless it did. Once the hormones straighten out and she's balanced out, which typically happens after a year, and as I understand her baby was eight or nine months of age, she will come to the realization of what occurred and she will suffer likely for the rest of her life, as will her husband. But he has forgiven her and he extends this request to everybody out there because this is a story that has been heard the globe over. But apparently earlier on, she'd been portrayed largely by people who had never met her and never knew who the real Lindsay was, is what Patrick Clancy wrote. He wrote that their marriage was wonderful and diametrically grew stronger as her condition rapidly worsened. And he took as much pride in being her husband as he did in being the father of those children and felt persistently lucky to have her in his life. The woman was also a labor and delivery nurse. She loved her job, but nothing matched her intense love for their children. But once again, as I say, demons take over a woman's mind often after childbirth. Many women experience the idea that they want to harm their children, but they don't go that far to do that because their illness isn't as bad as what Lindsay Clancy's sounded to be. But Patrick Clancy, the husband and father, stated in his letter, I want to ask all of you that you find it deep within yourselves to forgive Lindsay as I have. The real Lindsay was generously loving and caring towards everyone, me, our kids, family, friends, and her patients. The very fibers of her soul are loving. And all I wish now is that she can find some peace. And so this condition, this mental illness, and we do so poorly with mental illness, the especially around hallucinations and delusions, especially around bipolar and schizoaffective disorder and illnesses such as those. We do so poorly. We medicate, we over-medicate, we try to sedate people, calm them down, but oftentimes the hallucinations and the delusions do not go away. There's some new research out there out of Harvard that states that perhaps this is a metabolic illness, much like cardiovascular disease, obesity, and diabetes. But we have such a long way to go in mental illness. And if you or anyone you know has suffered with mental illness, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can have a million dollars on one side of the room with a treatment option and say to somebody with depression, walk over there. There's the answer to your problems. They will not be able to get up out of the chair and walk over there. People describe depression to me as walking in quicksand, trying to put one foot in front of the other. This is a horrific situation, yet this gentleman, this gentleman has found a way to forgive her, his wife, his wife that he loves so much. This I'm sure will morph and evolve and change and he will go through different feelings over time. But the bottom line is he set the foundation for forgiveness. And why is forgiveness important? It is so important. And maybe there's somebody in your life that has wronged you and you have not forgiven. Talking about a very difficult subject. I'm an extremely empathic person. This one brings me to tears. It was tough for me to talk about it last week. We talked about the condition, not the actual case. I wanted to be thoughtful, mindful of the family that was going through this. But this has been a story that has been heard the world over, certainly by mothers, certainly by mothers who've experienced postpartum depression. Anyone who understands this condition, I'm talking about the Lindsay Clancy case where a mom 
32 years of age, has allegedly killed her three children while she was in a psychotic state. Her husband has forgiven her. And that was really the first message that we heard. We were, everybody was shocked and dismayed. And how could this be? How Mothers don't kill their children. But yes, sometimes they do when they are psychotic. And this woman, it sounds like, not only was she psychotic, but she was over-medicated, over-treated with a series of antipsychotics, antidepressants, mood stabilizers, sedatives, some old ones, some new ones, just try anything to get those hallucinations and delusions out of her head. They were unsuccessful. His wife was like a zombie, he said. He left the house for 20 minutes. She killed all of the children, allegedly. He has forgiven her. Is there someone in your life that you have not been able to forgive? I bet it has made life a little bit more painful for you because not only when another person hurts us, it upends our lives, but sometimes that hurt is extremely deep, like when a spouse or a parent betrays our trust or when we're victims of crime or when we've been harshly bullied. Anyone who has suffered a, such grievous hurt knows that when our inner world is badly disrupted, it's so hard to think about anything else other than the turmoil that's associated with it. But when we hold on to that hurt, we become cognitively hobbled and our relationships suffer. We become emotionally hobbled and our relationship suffers. Our happiness about life suffers. None of us are perfect. In fact, we are all imperfect. And I think that's what makes us beautiful. And I love when someone says, or is able to say, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know, I love the fact that they say, I made a mistake. I say, I made a mistake. I make so many mistakes. I'm like, hey, my bad. I did it. Okay. You know, it's it's taken me a while to get there, but you know what? It's just so much healthier. Forgiveness is strong medicine when you hold on to hurt, when you've been emotionally and cognitively hobbled, and when your relationships suffer. Life hits all of us hard. Life is hard at times. Sometimes it's fantastic and other times it's so difficult, but there is nothing as effective as forgiveness for healing those deep wounds. It is such a misunderstood concept. And, and the other thing is that people don't really understand what forgiveness really means. Some people might want to forgive, but they wonder whether or not they truly can. Forgiveness doesn't come easily. Don't let me say if somebody has completely betrayed you, has cheated on you, and all of a sudden you're just going to forgive them the, the moment that you find out. But if you have the right tools, you can process this and you can follow the steps to a path for forgiveness. First of all, you have to understand what forgiveness is and why it matters. Forgiveness is goodness. It's about extending mercy to those who've harmed us. Oftentimes they harm us and they didn't mean it even but even if someone did hurt you on purpose they still even if they don't deserve forgiveness they do forgiveness they do deserve forgiveness but it's not about finding excuses for the offending person's behavior or pretending it didn't happen no you cannot follow that formula forgiveness is a process it has many steps and it's non-linear. Studies have shown that forgiving others produces strong psychological benefits for the one who forgives. It decreases depression. It can decrease depression, anxiety, unhealthy anger, 
and the symptoms of PTSD. In my clinical practice, I often find couples who are taking their anger out on the partner when the reason they're doing that is because they haven't forgiven a trauma they experienced as a child. But we don't just forgive to help ourselves. Forgiveness can lead to psychological healing, yes, but it's not something about you or done for you. It's something you extend to another human being because you recognize through your processing that this is the best response to the situation. So how do you do this? How do you practice forgiveness? You've got to become forgivingly fit. It helps if you've processed some of the things that you've gone through in life, positively changing your inner world, becoming that forgivingly fit. It's a slow process. You want to make a commitment to do no harm. So make a conscious effort not to talk disparagingly about those who've hurt you. Do you know how common this is? I think you do. You don't have to say good things about them, but you can refrain from talking negatively. What comes to mind for me is people in my clinical practice who are upset with their partners, who have an ex, who use their children as pawns. They talk disparagingly or terribly about their ex-husband uh, or ex-wife. If you refrain from talking negatively, it feeds the more forgiving side of your mind and your heart. Recognize that everybody is unique, everybody is special, and everyone is irreplaceable. It's really something to be extremely mindful about because we have to value our common humanity. It makes it so much harder to discount someone or devalue somebody when you deem them worthy. Address your own inner pain. This is perhaps the most important thing. Figure out who has hurt you and how. It might be obvious, but not every action that causes you suffering is unjust. You don't need to forgive your family members for being imperfect, even if their imperfections are inconvenient for you. Look carefully at the people in your life, your parents, your spouse, your siblings, peers, coworkers, even yourself, and rate how much they have hurt you. Maybe they exercised unhealthy power over you. Maybe they withheld love. Or maybe they even abused you or you had adverse childhood events. This, these hurts contribute to your inner pain. They often say about mean girls, mean girls are self-loathing. Mean girls don't like themselves. And mean women, <laughs> they're actually worse because they've had you know, a near lifetime of self-loathing and disgust about themselves because they have experienced hurt and pain that needs to be acknowledged. So what do mean girls and meaner women do? They hurt others. They try and take out your, or put out your light for their darkness. And what is so strange about that is that the mean girl and the meaner women are unhappy. They're miserable. They're hateful on the inside. They self-loathe according to research. And yet they want you to become that. You need to forgive them. You don't need to become that. You need to forgive them. There are so many forms of emotional pain, and the more common ones are anxiety, depression, unhealthy anger, self-loathing, as I mentioned, lack of trust, and low self-esteem. A negative view of the world. I had dinner with a friend's friend the other night. And I'm like, oh my God, that person is so negative. Just has a negative connotation about everyone and everything. It's just such a hard way to live. All of these pains can be addressed 
by forgiveness, but you've got to identify the kind of pain that you're suffering from and, and acknowledge that. And try to be empathic. That's how you develop a forgiving mind. Put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. All We all carry wounds in our hearts. Recognizing that can help open the door to forgiveness. The other thing that's important is you want to find meaning in your suffering. When we suffer a great deal, we need to understand the meaning in what we have endured. Without seeing meaning, we can lose a sense of purpose, which can lead to hopelessness and despair, and then there's no meaning to life itself. So forgive easily. Be warm. Be kind. It's actually going to help you and make your life that much better. And when forgiveness is hard, call upon your other strengths. Anyway, forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. You know, we talk the taboo on this show, and oftentimes people are very uncomfortable talking about certain subjects. In fact, they create clever euphemisms to avoid having to say actual words. Case in point, the change, or the big M, and the best one of all, the Gigi. Of course, I'm talking about things that can happen at menopause. Although 5 million Canadian women will go through menopause by 2025, many women are still not comfortable talking about it. Keeping mum on subjects like menopause can negatively affect one's quality of life. After menopause, women experience changes in and around the vagina that can lead to moderate to severe sexual pain, which may impact sexual satisfaction. As a nurse continence advisor and sexual health educator, I am very passionate about educating women on menopause, including the lesser known symptoms of menopause, like vaginal dryness, sexual pain, and sexual satisfaction. So I've invited an esteemed group of healthcare professionals and thought leaders who will be joining the program over the next several weeks to educate you all about everything menopause. I am delighted to have on the line my next guest, Dr. Michelle Jacobson, who is a general OBGYN and menopause specialist at Women's College and Mount Sinai Hospitals in Toronto. She did a residency at McMaster University and fellowship in menopause at the University of Toronto, followed by a master's of health science in translational research. She knows menopause. Her research interests include women who are prematurely menopausal because of cancer therapy and women at high risk of breast and ovarian cancer due to germline genetic mutations. Her goals, including translating her research into accessible clinical guidelines to support, uh, I'm going to redo that again. Her goals include translating her research into accessible clinical guidelines to support widespread adoption of evidence-based care. She is the creator and director of the SOGC's Community of Practice in Hereditary Breast and Ovarian Cancer and the primary author of the guidelines on the gynecological management of hereditary breast and ovarian cancer and breast cancer and menopause. Unbelievable. Thank you so much, Dr. Michelle Jacobson, for joining the program tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really delighted to be here. Wow, you are a bastion of knowledge. <laughs> um, this is fantastic. It's, I'm so happy to have you here. And I want to talk to you in particular about lesser known symptoms that occur at menopause and beyond for women that can impact their body image, their pain, their sexual satisfaction, their sexual desire. So I want to talk to you about vulvar vaginal atrophy or genitourinary syndrome of menopause. What exactly is that condition? 
Yeah, and thank you so much for bringing some attention to this because as you alluded to before, this is totally an area that women are uh, often hesitant to talk about either with their friends or with their partners and more importantly with their physicians when they need to seek help. So thanks for bringing this into the public realm. Um, We used to call the dryness uh, and itchiness and changes that happen to the vulva and vagina in menopause, vulvovaginal atrophy. But over the last several years, we decided to change the terminology. So now we talk about the genitourinary syndrome of menopause, because this is actually a syndrome that affects more than just the vulva and vagina. It affects all of the parts of the lower urogenital tract, including the bladder, the urethra, and then as you spoke about the vagina and all of the parts of the vulva and vagina that... um, that are used to having estrogen around and the changes that they go through after menopause where estrogen is no longer available. And and so this results in a decrease in the elasticity of the vulva and the vagina. And what is is what is exactly what leads to the the pain and discomfort that women experience. Is that right? Yeah, so the vagina and the vulva have estrogen and androgen, which is sort of like testosterone, but androgen refers to more than just testosterone, all the different weaker male hormones that are available, receptors in several of its parts. And when there is a loss of estrogen and androgen, there is a change in the composition of the cells of the lining of the vagina uh, and around the opening of the vagina into the vulva, uh, as well as the lower genital and urinary tract, uh, that can be really bothersome. So some women notice it most when they're trying to be sexually active with penetrative intercourse, but other women have their quality of life so affected that they can barely ride a bicycle or exercise or wear pants because their skin and their vagina is so sensitive to the changes that it actually feels painful. Um, And it really gives us an opportunity to effect a change by talking about this and treating it rather than to just ignore it. Because this is one of the few symptoms of menopause that actually gets worse the further away from menopause we get. And it actually affects over 50% of women. You couldn't be more correct in that. You know, some women, something you mentioned, estrogen and androgen. I mean, some women, I'm going to venture to guess, understand that it is a loss of estrogen in the urogenital tract or the vulva vagina that leads to the problem. But you mentioned androgen as well. And I would imagine a lot of women don't realize that it's not just estrogen, but it's a decrease in androgen as well. Absolutely. So the opening of the vagina um, is a highly androgen-sensitive spot with lots of receptors. And that's part of the reason that even younger women who take birth control pills sometimes have painful sex because there is a loss or an atrophy of the receptors in that area. And then as women age and they lose their own estrogen and androgen production, those cells atrophy as well. So we have an opportunity to treat the vagina, not just with estrogen, but with androgen therapy too. And which is so important. And there is a new novel um, treatment for women that we're going to talk about. But first of all, a lot of women go to a personal moisturizer over-the-counter product. Where do those come in? Right. So, I mean, we would all recommend moisturizers and over-the-counter safe products as the first-line treatment for anybody who's experiencing dryness, itchiness, burning, discharge, pain with intercourse. Because we want to affect change 
by hitting this in lots of different ways. So we can go with prescription treatments, which are mostly hormonal-based, but we want to start by using some of the over-the-counter moisturizers and lubricants, um, which really act just like putting a moisturizer or a lubricant on your skin. So they don't necessarily change the composition of the cells like prescription therapies will, but there are products that are hyaluronic acid-based that can draw moisture and water into the cell. There are products as simple as using uh, a bland oil, like a coconut oil, or a bland um, emollient, like Vaseline, which help to protect the cell and keep it from losing its own moisture. And these can be used really ad-lib. There's no limit to the amount of a moisturizer that you can put on your vulva. And some women need to do that to help treat common skin conditions like eczema, but also to treat the dryness that goes along with menopause. And that can be either with or um, before using a hormonal treatment. So we would recommend uh-huh. using moisturizers all the time uh, for women who have that sensation of dryness, either before or after they initiate any other therapies. Okay. Um, the I, I often will have women in my clinical practice who will present and they have been suffering for a long time. And, and, and so an over-the-counter product is something they can get quickly um, and they can try it if they like. But if they really want to improve the health of their vagina, they really need to replenish the deficient hormones and actually give estrogen or um, androgen. Uh, is, that, is that correct? Yeah, so one doesn't replace the other. I mean, even for women who are, who are feeling that the moisturizer has really improved the quality of their skin, maybe on the vulva, they might still mm-hmm. be suffering from changes within the vagina or the urethra um, that, that are very sensitive to estrogen and androgen therapy. And that's where we would want to use hormonal treatments. Um, and then lubricants for sexual pleasure are something that can be recommended for everybody at any point in their reproductive or post-reproductive life. And certainly when we think of intercourse as being potentially a traumatic event for that vagina and the aging cells within it, um, we want to make sure we're using lubricants to help to decrease the friction and improve the pleasurable sensations. Dr. Michelle Jacobson, who is a general OBGYN, obstetrician gynecologist, and menopause specialist at Women's College and Mount Sinai Hospitals in Toronto, is my guest. And we are talking about some of the painful conditions associated with menopause. Thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. Jacobson. I really appreciate it. So we're talking about vaginal dryness, vulvovaginal dryness, genitourinary syndrome of menopause. It can result in painful sex, dryness, itching, vestibular pain, urinary symptoms as well. You can have quality of life pain, like when you're riding a bike or day-to-day pain when you're just sitting, doing, you know, trying to work or whatever. And it can really cause distress for women who experience this, and oftentimes women experience this at the menopause or beyond. And it's the one symptom of menopause that only gets worse, especially if left untreated. There are estrogen options that are by prescription um, to treat this, but there's also a new and novel option for women that has a unique way on how it works. And Dr. Jacobson is going to explain that right now. Dr. Jacobson, how does the new and novel option, Interosa, work for women. Yeah, I'm really glad to be talking about this because, you know, as a menopause specialist, it's a very exciting time to be practicing menopausal medicine. Uh, you alluded to the number of estrogen treatments that we have and have had for years, um, but there have been a couple of new introductions to the market uh, for other prescription treatments. And Interosa, which is vaginal prasterone, is quite unique in the sense that it is a vaginal ovule 
that includes DHEA or prasterone. And DHEA is a normal weak androgen that our bodies produce, but that has not been uh, pharmacologically available in Canada prior to this. And it's mixed with a sort of hard fat um, uh, outer component and it's a daily use. So I think there's a number of things that make it a great option um, for treating vaginal dryness and menopause and, and painful sex. So number one, the fact that you're using this daily and it comes in this um, hard fat um, that then melts and is quite moisturizing uh, capsule is really nice because prior to this, we've been mostly using things that are twice a week and this gives a daily moisturizer component. But what's even more interesting is the DHEA is something that when given to the cells in the vagina, the intracellular uh, technology turns the DHEA into the right amount of estrogens and testosterone within the cell of the vagina. So you don't have to worry about absorbing systemic levels of hormone from this treatment because all of the uh, metabolism to the active hormone actually happens within the cell of the vagina. And that's quite a unique uh, pharmacology uh, aspect of this medication. And I think one that um, will, will potentially be very appealing to people who have worried about using estrogen therapies in the past, albeit even if they didn't need to. You know, that's such an advancement. I see so many women in my clinical practice who have been prescribed localized estrogen therapy by the physician, and they may come back and follow up to see me, you know, six weeks later. And I'll ask them if they had started on the prescription estrogen, and they'll often say no because they read the estrogen monograph and saw that it had a black box warning and feared the side effects and didn't want to try it at all and then maybe tried a moisturizer and found that it wasn't working. So this is uh, this has no black box warning, correct, Intra-Rosa? Correct. I mean, it's really remarkable because what we've contended with for years is that the product monograph for vaginal estrogen is the same as the one for oral estrogen. And that's really terrified a lot of women who felt that they might have a reason not to take the medication or a contraindication. Now, this medication is only used for the vagina and it has no black box warning. That means that it can be used on label, safely prescribed for women with anything in their medical history, including some of the things that have made us afraid potentially in the past to prescribe estrogen therapies. Such as, such as breast cancer. I have yeah. a, another question for you. Um, you mentioned the moisturization component of Interosa. So does this mean that women do not, and it's daily, does this mean women don't have to spend money on personal moisturizers? They may not need to. So, you know, this hard fat, which is also vegan, so that makes it a little bit different from some of the other options that are out there. But the hard fat that it comes in, which will then melt, will act as a moisturizer and emollient to the vaginal and vulvar skin. So they may be able to avoid using additional moisturizers. Although, again, you can't get enough moisture. And if women wanted to use this treatment and moisturizer therapy, they absolutely could. They can, because I, it was my understanding that when using localized estrogen therapy, if you added a moisturizer, you wanted to take it on the alternate days that you were taking the localized estrogen, but that's not the case with Interosa? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's the case with vaginal estrogens either, but this is going mm -hmm. to potentially negate the need to use extra moisturizers because it has that built-in moisturizer component, which is lovely. Which is fantastic. And you know what? I feel sometimes that 
you know, we know that things cost more for women. So I love the fact that women don't need to potentially add on um, to their financial situations here and can Absolutely. just use interros. Yeah, because it, it's so unfair. Um, do we? So would you say that we have safe options for the treatment of vulvovaginal atrophy in women who have been diagnosed with breast cancers? I mean, I would say we absolutely have safe options. I mean, our guideline recommends starting with, with moisturizers and lubricants, um, but then moving on to any of the second-line therapies, which could include the vaginal estrogen or uh, an oral treatment for vaginal dryness or this intra-rosa. But of all the therapies out there, the intra-rosa is the only one that actually has no black box warning and no specific recommendation against using in women who have had breast cancer. Theoretically, this should be a very safe medication, even in women who have had breast cancer. And so they should breathe a little bit easier, knowing that they can treat their vaginal dryness, painful sex, sitting on a bike, itching, potentially urinary tract symptoms using this new intrarosa. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I can't say that I would specifically recommend for everybody one product over another, but this mm -hmm. is definitely one that doesn't come with a black box warning. And that should make healthcare providers who maybe aren't as used to prescribing these therapies much more comfortable in prescribing this. That, that's such a great point because I've also had that as well. Oftentimes I will see a patient and I'll make a recommendation to a general practitioner in a consult letter that I might send and may ask them to, you know, review this and, and consider treating the vagin the vulvovaginal atrophy. And sometimes they'll come back and they will say, you know, my doctor said it has the black box warning and that I shouldn't take it. And so they, they go weeks, even months without any treatment whatsoever. So that is, that is just such a great point that you're making there. Do you feel that the new vulvovaginal atrophy treatments or the treatment options, and you're right, I think we just have to offer options to women. They offer something new and more beneficial, would you say? We only have about 30 seconds left. Absolutely. It's the time to be going through menopause in Canada. We've got so much new and exciting stuff out and advocacy groups like the, the Menopause Foundation of Canada. So this is the time. This is, it's a great time. Yeah, this is fantastic. And I love the fact that it's an androgen and estrogen dual benefit plus the moisturizing component. Dr. Michelle Jacobson, thank you so much. I really appreciate you educating us about the treatment options for vulvovaginal atrophy and GSM. Thanks, Maureen. It's time for the Bedroom Bulletin. Welcome back to the uh, back to the bedroom segment of the Sunday Night Health Show. We're talking a lot about dysfunction tonight, dysfunctional relationships, dysfunction that you might experience at menopause. Well, sexual dysfunction is something that is little talked about as well, and it occurs when you have a problem that prevents you from wanting or enjoying sexual activity. Sexual dysfunction is very different from asexuality. It can happen any time. And people of all ages, even young people, older people, middle-aged people can experience sexual dysfunction, although the chances do increase as you age. But it might surprise you that a lot of people experience sexual dysfunction in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. One of the most common causes of sexual dysfunction is stress. And you know what? Who doesn't have stress? <laughs> it's really how you manage it. And in today's day and age, I mean, People are just so stressed out, working from home, cleaning up, everything's got to be perfect, racing all here, rushing around there, 
overdrawn in their bank accounts. I mean, there's just so much stress. The news, forget it, turn that on and it's complete stress. Anyway, but that's just one cause of sexual dysfunction. Others include sexual trauma. So rape is uh, one of the causes of sexual dysfunction. Obviously, how could you ever trust again? And and you would it would trigger, um, you know, thoughts and you know past experiences of that trauma. Also, psychological issues, anxiety, depression, lack of forgiveness in one's life. Um, you know, other other psychological disorders like bipolar, um, schizoaffective disorder, schizophrenia, diabetes is also a common cause of sexual dysfunction. Heart disease. This is February. This is heart month. Think about it. Women can also experience heart disease. If we don't get that message across this month, I don't know when we will. Drug and alcohol use can also lead to sexual dysfunction and certainly certain medications can as well. But, you know, sometimes it's just a bad night. Sometimes it's just a bad time. You know, it's just like, it's just, it's just not, you know, you're just not in the mood. This just isn't right. But sometimes a bad night might convert into a disorder. So when does that happen? Well, desire disorder or sexual desire disorder is when you have little or no interest in sexual relations on an ongoing basis. Now, let me remind you that sexual desire is responsive. It doesn't come first like everybody thinks. No, no, no. It's responsive. So say everything is good in the relationship. You feel good. You're healthy, but you just don't feel like doing it. And so you don't accept your partner's advances. Okay. You don't accept them. So you're going to think, I have this sexual dysfunction. I have sexual desire disorder. I don't feel like having sex with them again. But say you decide, hey, everything's good. You know, it's fine. Instead of getting on my iPad or watching TV or reading a book, I'm going to accept my partner's sexual advances. And hey, you enjoy it. You, you experience arousal and you um, have an orgasm. Fantastic you know what? There you go. You don't have a sexual desire disorder. And here, had you not accepted that in the face of everything good in the relationship and that's a consensual, uh, intimate moment, then you know what? You don't have. So you could be improperly diagnosed is my point. Arousal disorder means you're emotionally in the mood, but your body isn't into it. You cannot get aroused. You cannot get lubricated. You cannot feel the excitement that goes along with great sex. These are issues that need to be treated and there are treatments for all of them. Orgasm disorder means you're emotionally in the mood, but you have an inability to climax and that can leave you frustrated. Or you may never have ever climax or experience an orgasm. We call that primary anorgasmia. There's a treatment for that. It's called the womanizer. That's actually just a little bit of a test. <laughs> um, try it out. It's a clitoral stimulation device and it may leave you experience knowing that you've experienced an orgasm. But you know, it's not something you want to use long-term. It's actually better with human connection, but you can also bring that into the bedroom if you like, if you're short on time or whatever. Anyway, but it's also, keep in mind, sex is mutual. Sex is consenting is consensual and mutual. There's also something called a pain disorder. And we talked about that. We talked about a little bit about that earlier on in the program, vulvovaginal atrophy. So pain disorders involve having pain during sex or during intercourse. And so that's when you have vaginal dryness, can lead to painful sex, that could lead to low sexual desire because who wants to do anything that hurts. So though there are there is treatment for that and you learn that there's a new and novel treatment tonight as well so it's very important that if you have 
uh, pain disorder, it's not just vaginal dryness or vulvovaginal atrophy or genitourinary syndrome of menopause. It's vestibulodynia. Um, it's uh, clitoridynia. There's so many different pain disorders as well. You can have pelvic floor pain, um, rectal pain, anal pain, lots of different pelvic pain that can actually lead you or uh, prevent you from having sex and certainly having great sex. The libido lowdown. Let's get on to that. Okay. Low testosterone, which is in men and women, can cause a loss of libido or low sexual desire for anyone. So for those with female reproductive organs, you can also experience a decrease in your desire your, or low libido with hormonal changes following childbirth breastfeeding, menopause, or even being on the oral contraceptive pill. Some of the medical conditions that can occur, high blood pressure or hypertension. It's a good idea to get your blood pressure, 120 over 80 or below. Diabetes, medications, relationship issues, of course, sexual inhibitions. This reminds me of my TEDx talk <laughs> that I gave. Um, talked about all of these, stress, fatigue, a fear of pregnancy can also lead to low libido. And then of course, we cannot forget about sexual dysfunction in the almighty penis. Um, there, there can be issues with blood flow or nerve disorders, or you, you may have had an injury, a biking injury to the penis when you were cycling. Psychological problems like stress or depression. And you know, to be honest with you, this is like the catch 22 or the vicious cycle, because when you have problems with erections, it can lead to stress and or depression. Relationship issues can also lead to uh, erectile dysfunction and also lack of attraction to somebody can lead to erectile function issues. Also, Peyronie's disease, which is a bend in the penis, chronic illness and medications as well. So there are so many uh, sexual dysfunctions. Let's not forget about premature ejaculation. And, and my biggest point here is if you're having trouble in the bedroom, get help. There is so much help out there. It's just accessing it, talking to your healthcare provider about it, getting a referral somewhere, tuning into the Sunday Night Health Show, um, where we go over things like ejaculation disorders, premature ejaculation. And that, that is so common. It happens before or immediately after penetration. So that actually decreases the length of time for your performance. And then, then that, could, that can actually lead to performance anxiety. But you know, you can have other psychological stressors or sexual inhibitions, nerve damage, spinal cord damage, certain medications. So injuries, traumas, those types of things can lead to sexual dysfunction. Impaired ejaculation is when you cannot ejaculate at all. And retrograde ejaculation can happen in people who have a penis, and particularly those people who may have diabetic neuropathy. So when you experience an orgasm, ejaculation enters the bladder instead of exiting out of the penis. This doesn't cause major medical issues, but it can impair fertility. So you should see your doctor about this if you have it. Anyway, uh, I talked a little bit about the pain and discomfort. And, you know, oftentimes a couple, you know, one will have penile issues and the other will have vaginal issues. And, and they're too afraid to talk to one another about that. So that can make it very difficult as well. And, you know, stress and fatigue are the enemies of the experience of the almighty orga orgasm. You know, you don't necessarily have to have an orgasm to have great sex, although, you know, pretty good. But pain and discomfort um, during uh, sexual activity, that can also 
lead to problems experiencing an orgasm or going through the sexual response cycle fully for men, women, and they. But you know what? It's so important that you manage your stress and you get the rest that you need because it is just so important. According to Harvard Medical School, the norm for female sexual response isn't easily measurable and is based on quality. So basically, you don't have sexual dysfunction if you're satisfied with your sex life, even if you don't have orgasm. So you don't have to, but I kind of think it's better if you do. So when should you see your doctor? You should see your doctor when sexual problems keep happening. Both partners can have anxiety about it and things can escalate and they will escalate if you don't discuss it. If the situation doesn't improve or you suspect a physical reason, it is time to see your doctor. So you want to be prepared to give a complete medical history, including a list of prescription medications, over-the-counter medications, and also any um, recreational medications you might be utilizing. Um, oftentimes people who smoke pot will experience problems with erection or drink too much alcohol as well. You'll probably have a physical exam um, and then that can be followed by diagnostic testing. Um, and if you, they don't find a physical cause, that's when you go and see a therapist. Next week, I'll continue on this subject and we'll talk about how to treat the physical and psychological causes of sexual dysfunction. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.